1: Yep, this all new service hub from HubSpot brings customer service and support together in one simple but powerful platform so you can deliver the best experience possible. And of course, it's powered by AI, not Al, AI, meaning your team can automate those tedious tickets from people who've clearly not read your frequently asked questions. Pain in the backside, aren't they? Oh, and by the way, organisations using HubSpot Service Hub are resolving tickets 13 times faster, helping them to close 42% more tickets per day. That means increasing retention by more than 80%. Thank you, people at HubSpot who who did the maths on that one, because I wouldn't be able to.
0: I love a bit of data. Did you also know, Al, that it consolidates your entire internal knowledge base into one place? So no matter who is working on support, they'll have the answers at their fingertips.
1: I did know that because I wrote that for you you
0: well there you have it stand out from the crowd and migrate to hubspot service hub today
1: visit hubspot.com slash service and learn how this all new solution can help you deliver for your customers
2: rashes and headaches i was um, barely sleeping i'd lost quite a lot of weight
1: Hello and welcome to Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture podcast. We aim to simplify the science of people. My name is Al and I'm a business owner.
0: My name is Leanne, am a business psychologist.
1: And welcome. We are talking all about burnout over the next couple of episodes, some chunky episodes coming up. Um, today, we've got a panel on burnout with three expert guests. Uh, firstly, we've got Will Hasek, who's a board certified clinical psychologist. Then we have Kate Donovan, who's a burnout coach and podcaster. And finally, we have Sally Clark, who's a well-being and burnout researcher and expert. Now, Leanne is obviously another expert, and her suggestion is that burnout is the pandemic that we just didn't see coming. We've seen quiet quitting, and there's a fair bit on, on our podcast about quiet quitting. We've seen about the great resignation, but the big risk we think in 2023 and 2024 is burnout. So, Leanne, what do we need to know about Burnout
0: the first thing to know about burnout is that it is on the up um so as you mentioned there are wonderful guests sally clark she is one of the researchers behind um infinite potentials the state of workplace Wellbeing 2023 um and it, it had some quite quite sad reading to be honest Al um, in terms of the prevalence of burnout um, it's going up it was estimated to be about 29% in 2020 34% in 2021 and 38% in 2022 one might say that's not a huge surprise given the stress and and challenge and uncertainty and that we went through with the the pandemic um, and yeah things like quiet quitting in the great resignation I think are indicators of people trying to find alternatives to burnout, so making big, bold decisions before they burn out. But yeah, the reality is that the continuing stress in our lives, the the post-pandemic trauma we're all still dealing with, and the shifts that we're seeing in the workplace um, in terms of reevaluating how work fits into our lives, I think we're all just freaking exhausted at this point, and I think burnout is significantly going to is going to be a significant problem in 2023 if we don't act now
1: now i think what's interesting is that people who are slightly older generation, so generation x and boomers which i'm 45 so i fall into the generation x um there's been a kind of a thing where you don't burnout's always been there but you don't really talk about it you joke about it um you know it it wasn't a thing in the 80s and 90s to go off with stress you just got on with it and of course that's not very healthy at all now we've there's a lot less stigma attached to it I think it is good that we are starting to talk about it a bit more
0: yeah I I agree and I, I think that this the scary thing about burnout is it's not it's not just a case of oh I'm exhausted I need a break it has like serious physical health connotations I mean, in terms of heart disease, in terms of cancer rates, they're all linked to stress. And anecdotally, you do hear of people who retire and then pass away within a yeah. few months it's similar to you know how you you've been working really hard you take time off and, and then you get colds and flu because when mm-hmm. we're under stress our immune system is in overdrive so when it relaxes it all comes flooding in so it's not even just a, a mental health issue this this is also a physical health issue
1: yeah and i think it's good that we're talking about it and, and and what's really really going to be really good over the next few episodes is we have three or four really really good guests um some of who've experienced it some of who are sort of um, clinically trained and therefore can talk about it um should we just go and meet our panel now yes firstly we've got will hasek who's a board certified clinical psychologist
3: my name's william hasek i'm a board certified clinical psychologist uh i'm in pittsburgh uh, pennsylvania
0: and next we have burnout coach and podcaster kate donovan i am a burnout coach, a keynote speaker, an author, a
4: podcaster. I work with organizations to reduce burnout so they can keep top talent. And I work with individuals to reduce burnout so they can not hate their lives anymore.
1: And finally, we're going to go meet Sally Clark, who's a wellbeing and burnout researcher and expert with a great story.
2: So I'm um, a former finance lawyer. I had a burnout in 2010 that was quite catastrophic. And uh, I was very privileged to be able to quit my role as a lawyer and shift into a really different trajectory. I became yoga teacher, uh, shifted into meditation uh, retreats, the leading retreats around the world. And then a few years later, I became really curious about the experience that I'd been through. I think I'd felt quite a lot of shame about going through a burnout. In fact, I didn't even like using the word at the time. So I, I started really delving into some research about what burnout is and particularly what causes it. That led me to writing two books about burnout and becoming um, a burnout researcher, and now publishing an annual uh, study into burnout. And uh, I'm now also a co-director of an organization called Human Leaders. And our, our mission is to really make work a place where humans, business and society can thrive. So really changing work to be um, embedded with wellbeing.
0: Brilliant. So, some really great guests there to help us understand everything burnout. I guess to to give you a bit of context from from what we're hoping to achieve over the next few episodes is really just help help each other understand what is burnout. Um, how do we know if we're burnout? How do we know if our teams are burnout? Why does it happen? Um, and you know, uh, is it something that some people are more susceptible to? To others, Um, and of course, because we're everything people and culture. Why should leaders care about burnout? What does it mean for your business? And crucially, what can we do to prevent burnout from happening in the future?
1: So, should we start off with a clinical definition of burnout from Kate?
0: I have a very strong belief that we all have
4: to start with the scientific definition as it's given today. I don't necessarily. I say that with the caveat of I don't necessarily agree with the current definition, but. I think we should always start there because then at least we are starting at some sort of consensus. So the World Health Organization adopted the definition from Christina Moslock and researchers of burnout that says burnout is a multi-component occupational phenomenon, which consists of three things. The first is physical and emotional exhaustion. The second is cynicism and detachment. And the third is a lack of productivity or a lack of feeling that your work is impactful. And to help us dig a
0: bit deeper, let's hear from our second guest, Will.
3: The research on burnout uh, kind of shows that that burnout has basically three components. Um, So one of those is emotional exhaustion. Um, So when somebody's burnt out, they they just feel depleted, um, exhausted, uh, like they have no energy left to give to their job. And, you know, sometimes that can manifest physically too. they they just, um, will describe just feeling tired all the time. Um, they, uh, the second component is, uh, sometimes called like detachment or depersonalization. So, um, You know, that kind of involves people developing a very cynical attitude toward work, toward the people they work with, and often toward the world, you know, more generally, there's just intense kind of pessimism that comes out. And then the last is a diminished sense of personal accomplishment. So they're kind of feeling like they're not doing anything significant. They're not working toward any goals that matter to them, that their career and perhaps their life more generally isn't moving in a, in a significant direction anymore. So I think what's interesting is asking what the difference is between a bad day
1: and burnout.
3: That's a good question. I mean, I I think, you know, one of the um, things I would consider most is how pervasive and how kind of um, long this has been going on, right? That uh, if somebody is, having a bad day. Um, and it's just sort of, uh, I don't know, colored their perception and, and, you know, they're, they're just, uh, having just a negative attitude about everything. I don't know. That's to be expected. You know, everyone has a day like that, but I think when that's going on for weeks at a time, uh you know and when you're seeing like they they just even the work tasks that they enjoyed in the past they just no longer have the same energy about them no longer the same passion that that's when it starts to become concerning
0: will was here on on the key there what's the difference between a bad day and burnout Burnout is is a result of a persistence of, of state, um, of prolonged stress. And with that comes lots of physical and psychological symptoms um that, that we will be able to observe in ourselves and in the people around us. So let's hear a bit more from Kate and her research findings on how people experience burnout. I did my own research on this. The top symptoms outside of the three
4: components that I just mentioned as the definition, the top symptoms that I saw over the people that I surveyed who were all self-proclaimed as burnt out. So let that be clear that the subjects were in charge of their own definition of burnout. The top three things were headaches, migraines, and neck and shoulder tension. So a lot going on up here. When we think of stress, what do we think of, right? Headaches, neck tension, we're right in line with that. Then we go down the gamut. So some sort of dysregulated digestion in some way, shape, or form no libido with women, issues with regularity in their menstrual cycle. One of the things, the way that people describe it usually is an inability to manage their emotions. Like they have an emotional reaction to a situation and it just comes right out of their mouth. Their filter is absolutely gone, which if you look at the physiology of burnout is true. Your prefrontal cortex where you manage your emotions is has actually diminished. There's less nerve cells there. There's less neuronal connectivity in that part of your brain when you're burnt out so you can't manage your emotions the way that you used to so that's a big one that comes up for people a lot of people say I'm afraid of the person that I've turned into I don't want to be this father I don't want to be this mother I don't want to be this friend
1: And I think that a bad day just suggests something that's different to a good day so you could have like a grumpy client or an audit or perhaps a real talk from your manager something like that so burnout does require context it's not just an individual having a bad day is an environment influencing many bad days in a row. Let's hear some more on this from Sally.
2: I think there's really multiple multiple things at work here. And one is that we tend to still, because burnout happens to the individual, it happens to people, we tend to still frame it as an individual issue when really, you know, all of my research, both from my books and in the study, the the, the causes of, all, of um, burnout are in fact um, systemic and cultural, whether that's in an organisation or even just in our broader society, the way we talk and think about work, the beliefs that we have about work that kind of we then internalise. So it's it's a really pervasive kind of number of
0: causes. I think January is a particularly high risk time for burnout. I think many of us will go into the the Christmas break thinking we've got time off, I'll reset, I'll get the rest that I need and then come back in January and actually not feel any better. If you are concerned that you are experiencing burnout, let's just recap those three components of burnout again. So physical and emotional exhaustion, detachment and cynicism so being pessimistic as well and diminished personal accomplishments so a feeling that your work is not providing any meaning purpose or value within your life. So that's what the definition of burnout is. What are the biggest misconceptions about burnout? I asked Will.
3: Burnout isn't sort of just a response to stress. I think that's something that people often get wrong. It's oh, you know, work, they're just really overwhelmed and they're getting burnt out. I mean, you know, a person can have a stressful job without getting burnt out. I think when people start to get burnt out, it, it's they've kind of lost hope. It's like they've tried a lot of different things to deal with the work stress they're starting to feel trapped they're starting to feel hopeless they're starting to feel like there's nothing they can they can really do to change their circumstances you know because one big mistake that i see with burnout is people focus on the exhaustion piece of it um right the you know and i think that's because if you talk to a burnt out person that's the thing that's going to kind of jump to mind to them first it's what they're feeling the most um but that's only one you know obviously one of the three components i would argue it's not even necessarily the most significant component right um unfortunately i think you know when a lot of businesses are like asking about burnout they're only asking about the exhaustion component
0: A really important point there from Will. There are three main components of burnout. Exhaustion is just one. Let's hear about another misconception on burnout from Kate. I think the thing that's missing from that definition
4: for me, I know why they're doing it. But I think the thing that's missing from that definition is an acceptance of the fact that it's not just about the workplace. So this is very specifically in the World Health Organization definition, a workplace phenomenon. An occupational phenomenon. This is not a disease. This is not a syndrome. This is a workplace phenomenon. And it doesn't happen outside of those that context. And that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, especially because when I burnt out myself, I was an entrepreneur. So I was creating my own phenomenon, if you know what I mean. I was in charge of everything I could decide how many hours I worked and what kind of systems were in place and how people were treated and how I treated myself. And I still burnt out. So I think that there's still places for this definition to grow and mature over time. I think, of course, of course it exists outside of work. Burnout is, if we're going to look at the physiology and the psychology of burnout, burnout is the result of long-term chronic stress. So why would that only be related to the workplace? That can be related to caregiving, can be related to just being a parent these days. It can be related to poverty. It can be related to, I mean, we can go into social determinants of health. If you want, I mean, it can be related to so many things, disability,
0: chronic illness. Kate's right to to raise that as a point. The The definition is fairly new in terms of ex- is acceptance by the World Health Organization. It is not yet present within the DSM-5. We've talked about that before. Um, so, yeah, there is definitely room for growth here. Um, let's hear from, from Sally. Just knowing
2: that burnout is not a weakness. Burnout is not a sign of failure. It happens to some of the most brilliant people. We know it really is something that happens to people who are highly intelligent and who it's not for lack of trying. Um, it's just not your fault as an individual. Um, and finding help um, and, and talking to people and engaging the support systems around you is is really key and you deserve that healing you deserve to live you know a full and, and vibrant life.
1: So I'm curious, Leanne, do you think there are some people or roles that are more susceptible to burnout?
0: As Sally said, you know, burnout is not a sign of weakness. Burnout isn't something that happens to people who just can't hack the pace. Um, Burnout can happen to anyone in any industry at any level. Um, And in fact, even the most recent data, you know, we might have thought that, people managers might experience burnout at a different rate than non-people managers. The latest data shows that isn't the case. And surprisingly as well, those that have caring responsibilities at home um, experience burnout at the same rate as those who do not, um, which I thought was initially quite surprising because I think if you're balancing kind of caring and work you might be more susceptible to burnout. But then equally, if we unpack that a little bit more, people who have perhaps caring responsibilities, families at home are probably much more likely to have a strong support network around them. And that in itself is going to help protect you against burnout. There are some trends in demographics. The under 45s typically suffer with burnout more frequently and marginally uh, females. However, other research does dispute this, as Will explains.
3: There is a recent study that was done trying to look at rates of burnout between men and women. And previously, it had been uh, research had suggested that women uh, burnt out more than men or more frequently. But this study really challenged that, and it kind of showed men and women burn out at comparable rates, uh, but in different ways that women tend to show more signs of exhaustion, whereas men tend to show more signs of that detachment, depersonalization, right? So if you're not looking at all the components, you're going to miss big chunks of your workforce that, that might be kind of burnt out. Interestingly, a lot of people who are very driven and ambitious are at risk for burnout. The research shows that, you know, people who are really... conscientious, hardworking, want to follow the rules, want to meet expectations, uh, are at risk for burnout. People that are very like agile thinkers, kind of always looking for the next, you know, what am I, where am I going to go next? What's this next big opportunity or at risk?
0: And finally, there's also an argument for an association between mental health disorders and burnout. Is Kate. I believe that if there is some sort of vulnerability
4: to a mental illness, burnout can help trigger it or make you more vulnerable. I have seen people go through manic depressive episodes and be diagnosed with bipolar after going through burnout. Were the symptoms there enough beforehand to be diagnosed? Maybe, maybe not. But sometimes it is a trigger for things that are sort of latent and waiting in the background to show up. And having things like anxiety and depression make it more difficult to manage other things in your life. So yeah, of course, this is a... Almost everything with burnout is a closed circle.
0: From a research perspective, the correlation between mental health and burnout is a bit muddy. We don't really have um, an overall consensus. But what I can tell you is the research does show us there is an association between depression and burnout. Um, and specifically that, that scale of emotional exhaustion um, as a core component of burnout is positively related to depressive symptoms. In terms of consequences as well, we found that in people experiencing both burnout and depression. It's um, associated with with cognitive uh, functions such as increased recall of negative words um, and also a decreased recall of of positive words. Similarly with anxiety, we found a relationship between burnout and both state and trait-based anxiety. Um, So state being more environmental, trait being uh, more innate. And you know, within the workplace, people who have reported higher levels of anxiety have also reported higher levels of burnout But as I said, there isn't a consensus. This may well be just down to lack of interest in the topic. As I mentioned before, the World Health Organization only agreed a definition of burnout in 2019. Um, So the research is early days um, in terms of really understanding burnout as a standalone definition. Um, And these early systematic reviews are, are just coming in. So I think it is fair to say there is an association; the exact relationship of that we're still trying to figure out. There is also an argument that there might be a biological basis for people experiencing burnout more uh, than others or being more susceptible to it. Um, there does seem to be biomarkers that are linked to stress-related mental disorders, such as depression, burnout, and chronic stress. There may be there may be a um, a common biological basis there as well. But again, research is new. Other research has also shown us that some professions impacted, uh, particularly high-stress roles. Such as teachers or health workers. Again, though, that might just be the bias in the research because the research and burnout has tended to focus on those professional groups. And then, of course, we can't possibly do a podcast without talking about the Gen X, Gen Zs, can we? <laughs> um, so, recent data does suggest that younger people are more susceptible to burnout. And this has been a shift in the last few years, which is really interesting. As you know, our expert guest, Sally, is one of the researchers behind Infinite Potentials, a state of workplace burnout 2023. So let's hear more on that.
2: And I think the first was that we saw an enormous spike this year in the rate of burnout among the 18 to 24-year-old demographic. So in the last couple of years, um, the highest rates of burnout were uh, sort of around middle management. And this year, we saw a more than 20 percentile jump in um that 18 to 24 year um, age demographic and it's also so it's entry-level positions that's where we're seeing the highest rate of burnout and i found that really interesting because uh i think it really speaks to a lot of the the stresses that young people have been under through the pandemic and i think to some extent also the fact that you know quite a lot of these people who are responding to the survey were you know they may have commenced their careers straight out of college or university into a remote work environment. So they, this is a very stressful time to be starting our careers. And I think for those of us who are a bit older, who maybe already had some, you know, relationships built at work and sort of understood the ways of working, shifting to a working from home situation was actually for a lot of us quite a, you know, it, was to, it had some benefits, whether it was autonomy, agency, flexibility, these kind of things. But I think for the younger generation, the expectations that may they may have had about how their careers would look were really decimated by the nature of how they they started their careers because of the pandemic. I'm sure there are other factors involved and i've been really interested to have some conversations with with younger people to try and understand those. And we'll put those together in, a, in an article hopefully soon. But that was certainly a really standout finding for me.
1: I think we have to remember that if someone's entered the workforce um, five years ago, so let's say their argument's sake like they are 21 and they start at 16. And the pandemic was like two, two of those years, even two and a half. We're talking almost like 50% of their work experience or experience of work has been during a pandemic, a lot of that at home. So I think what is interesting is that we, we hear this like snowflake term bandied around. So, and, and I think it seems to be that people are thinking that, oh, the, you know, the younger people, they just can't hack the pace of hustle culture. Um, so is this the proof that the snowflake generation are unable to hack it? Or is it just one of the reasons why the expectations of employees are shifting? let's see what our experts think. Here's Kate. It's okay for people to think that they're wrong,
4: (laughs) but it's okay for people to think that I'm not really here to convince everyone. There is over 40 years of research on this. There's not really much to discuss. So I don't usually bother. I don't Believe that I'm in the any of my professions require me to do that. If people want to believe that this is nonsense, then they believe it's nonsense. Until they are leadership in a company that just lost fifty percent of their employees and all of their top performers, then they might talk about it. The thing is, the world is changing. The demands of the later millennials—I'm the earliest millennial years, right—the the the demands of the later millennials and Gen Z are different than the demands of the early millennials and, and before us. People want different lives now. And when they can't get them, when they're not getting them, they are not able to just push through anymore. It's time to just pay attention and make some change.
1: We also asked Will about these generational shifts in the workplace. I think there's a change happening in
3: how we think about work now. I think expectations are changing as millennials and Gen Z enter the workforce. There's a lot of research showing that uh, younger generations have different expectations about what they want out of work and that they're not going to tolerate like abusive or controlling work environments. Um, You know, it's an interesting question about why that shift has happened. I mean, um, and I'm not really sure anyone has a clear answer at this point, but it certainly uh, is, is happening. And I, so I think one. you know, one thing that might be going on with a leader like that is they're just maybe not recognizing the depth of the the kind of cultural change that's that's happening around them. I actually think you and Leanne talked about podcast on Quiet Quitting. I listened to and I think you mentioned this uh, and I identified with it for sure. Um, both my parents very successful in their careers, very hardworking, but I mean, you know, they really burnt the candle at both ends, you know, it, it took a toll on them and, you know, thank goodness they recently retired. Um, and, uh, you know, but I look back and saw, you know, just years and years of them, uh, working so hard and, you know, really questioning like, why am I doing this? Uh, Am I really doing anything meaningful in my job? Um, and, you know, I, I think it took a toll on them. And and I mean, you know, I mean, not only do I feel for them, but I don't think anybody should have to feel that way uh, at work.
0: I've experienced periods of high stress throughout my career. And if I'm being honest, one period of, of burnout. I remember on the lead up, to that being told things like you need to toughen up you need to be more resilient you need a thicker skin Um, and you know what as a leader you might be thinking about the same about some of the people in in your team you might have even said some of the same things this approach is flawed and here's Sally to explain why
2: it's a really great point and it won, it's one that really sort of makes me a little bit incensed because I really find it quite cruel to some extent that there is this constant focus on the individual should be more resilient. We are offering the individual more meditation apps and yoga classes. And I say this as a qualified yoga and meditation teacher, that will not prevent burnout. I like to use the, the metaphor of um, if we have, for example, a, a toxic lake and this, the fish are all getting sick we don't look at each individual fish and try to make it better and 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 heal it we look at the water quality and we detoxify the water and we improve the quality of the lake so that the fish become healthy and i think that's how we need to frame burnout as well that if you have a healthy high functioning individual in a toxic environment you know eventually that chronic workplace stress will will wear them down and and it doesn't matter how many things they put into place necessarily when they're in that environment? It's just, a, it really is often just a matter of time before burnout occurs.
0: I am quickly interrupting this phenomenal podcast to recommend another phenomenal podcast, Nudge. We love Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew, a true gent. Anyway, listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. I worry, Al, sometimes I sound like a broken record, but I'm going to say it again. You might not like the generational shifts that are happening within the workplace right now, but they're happening. So get on board, get with it, and and start thinking about how you can do things differently, how you can do things better, because they are coming. Al, you told me this the other day and it blew my mind.
1: So I did a little bit of maths. Um, so I looked at a few websites for definitions of Gen Z, Gen X, boomers, Z, all that kind of thing. Um, and I've discovered there's a key date here. Now that's the January the 1st, 2024. And that's when millennials and Gen Z will finally make up the majority of the workforce because baby boomers are already retiring and Gen X um, will start the mass early retirement. So basically it means that we're now going to have more people who are working for us who are Gen Z and millennials than are not. So, of course, we need to change the way we look at it. But the other thing is we need to think about this is that the youngest Gen X, um, the Gen X of the generation, which is 1977 backwards for about 15 years, I think, uh, they'll be turning 50 in 2026. So that means that then almost, well, over two thirds of employees between 18 and 65 will be either millennials or Gen Z. So we can't win. The boomers by by twenty twenty six, the boomers, baby boomers, have gone. They've all retired. Um, us, me, the Gen X, we're we're turning fifty, so we've only really got sort of ten or fifteen years worth of work left in us. Um, so if you, particularly if you're like a digital creative agency where the average the average age is about thirty six, then just in eight years, which is what twenty, 20 thirty one, it'll be exclusively Gen Z. So I don't think we can say, oh, well, poor snowflakes because they're the Zoomers, which is what the Gen Z like to refer to. I think the Zoomers and the Millennials, they 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 just don't know what work is because the fact is that they are going to be your entire workforce. So we need to do something about this. We need to change the way that we think.
0: Hear, here, That was brilliant. And quite some, some sobering thoughts there as well, aren't there? Yeah I think it's also really important if we're talking about shifts we need to talk about burnout as well as part of the the hybrid conversation and this was another really important finding in Sally's recent research. Leaders haven't quite figured out how to make flexibility work well but as we've said there is a massive opportunity for leaders to reimagine how and where we work um, and what that balance looks like Hybrid work and flexibility are things that people are craving and still want. So how do we manage that and how do we bring hybrid into the burnout conversation? Let's hear from Sally.
2: Yes. So it was um, certainly, we we also asked some questions about um, where people are working. And our finding was that it was actually people who are working 80% or more from home who show the highest rate of burnout the lowest rate of burnout was those who were in a hybrid work situation where they're working two to three days a week from the office. Now, this was, I think as a, I'm a, I'm an introvert and I, uh, I was a little rattled, I think, by these findings because I sort of thought, oh, don't take don't take working from home away from me i really enjoy it but i think what we need to and you know we it's not it's correlation not causation so we're certainly not saying that working from home causes burnout and all that being in the office does but i think what those findings showed to me was that the the hybrid work conversation is one that we really need to have very mindfully and we really need to involve people sort of in this conversation and i think you know again as i said a lot of us have found this sense of autonomy agency yoga pants being able to you know, throw some watering on during the day, maybe pop to the shops. There's some flexibility in the way that we work that was opened up as a result of the pandemic. And uh, at the same time, we also know that we're human. You know, we really uh, need interpersonal connection to feel a sense of engagement and to feel, you know, trust and respect in the workplace is really key. And I really see that as being, you know, to the extent that is possible, when that can happen in person, that's, that's really impactful. So I think if if leaders can navigate this shift to a hybrid work environment where they can meet the needs of the team and also of the individuals, which will evolve. We're not sort of stagnant beings. These these things will shift as as the phases of life shift. But being able to hold that flexibility and and meet the needs of the team and the individuals as well. And I think that's it's a, it's quite a complex uh you know issue and i understand that for some leaders it may be very tempting to just say no that's it everyone has to be back in the office
1: now you know who you are don't be taken away from these from this podcast oh well i'll just call everyone back in the office because um, I want to avoid burnout. That's that's not what Sally's saying there, is it, Leanne?
0: It's not. It, what her research found and what other other research I've I've seen recently from the UK has found is that from what we know so far, and bear in mind these are early days of of post-COVID hybrid working. But what we've found so far is that hybrid working, so working two to three days from the office, two to three days at home, is correlated with higher levels of well-being. But as I said, is this a post-pandemic haze or can hybrid working really facilitate higher levels of well-being into the future? I ask Sally.
2: I think it's, you know, it is, I, I think there's a lot to be said for a shifting to a, a way of working that is perhaps re- reducing our working hours. You know, the four-day work week, there's a lot of focus on that at the moment. And I think, you know, we can't just arbitrarily chop a day off the week and expect things to get better. But when we actually... Use that as a uh, a means of reframing and redesigning how we work. So really looking at those systems of work, are they inefficient? Are you know how are we communicating? How are our meetings being driven? Are we able to do what we need to do in in the space of time that we're allocated? And if not, what's inhibiting that? What's stopping us from getting our work done? And so I think it's there's certainly I, I think a a really beautiful opportunity. That the um, this this shift is now offering us um, to really, and again, I think it's there's this natural tendency for humans to kind of want to go back to what was, to revert to how things were. Um, but for those again who have the courage and the curiosity to maybe hold space to, to ask some deeper questions, I think we can really shift to a way of working that that enables humans to thrive and actually also improves the bottom line for business as well. So it really is something that I think can have multifaceted impact. And on that, I think also, you know, we we talk a lot about the impact of burnout uh, on businesses and on organizations. I think at a societal level, if we can really Im- improve our working lives and reduce those sources of product workplace stress so that burnout isn't occurring you know, I think of the the friendships that will be improved, the the family relationships that will be improved because someone isn't in burnout. And even down to us as citizens, you know, in the on the planet, how we can be more involved and engaged uh when we're not burnt out. I think there's a huge amount of of impact that those kind of shifts and conversations can have.
1: I that's, that's a great point. And I think also we have to remember that there is a big risk of burnout for people who who are in the wrong role or potentially the wrong workplace and they, do, and they can't move because financial concerns, because maybe it's the only place that they can actually work at the level in which they want to work. So these are people who are very much at risk of burnout. So if you are listening and you're one of those people, then Will has some great advice to help you manage your emotions and navigate your workplace.
3: Yeah. So I think for a person like that, I'd I'd recommend a couple of different strategies. I mean, one would be finding your allies in, in the workforce. I mean, even if they're sort of working against the tide uh, or swimming against the tide, um, I guarantee there's going to be probably other people there that are feeling that, you know, and and um, so finding ways they can kind of build their support network within the organization is going to be really important. Um, I think also really making sure that they are prioritizing work in the right way. So, so I know we just talked about some of the organizational risk factors, um, but burnout isn't just an organizational issue i mean it's an individual issue too uh uh different people have different um levels of susceptibility to burnout i think it's really important when somebody's in an env- who's like that is in an environment where you know their well-being isn't going to be attended to by the organization that they're doing everything on their end to you know, make sure that they are, you know, setting boundaries around their work time around when they can be contacted after work. I mean, sometimes I have to work with people on some assertiveness talking to their manager. I'm not answering emails after whatever hour, you know, I've got to be with my family, um, making sure that they're involving themselves in meaningful activities and, and relationships outside of work. Um, you know, and, and, I think also kind of positioning themselves long term to probably, you know, leave that workforce if it's not going to change. So maybe they can't leave now, but maybe thinking about, OK, you know, what are those longer term goals you can work towards? So, you know, can, you know, whatever, three, four five years from now jump to an organization that is a better fit for you?
0: So just to very briefly recap the question, are some people or roles more susceptible to burnout than others? Headline, no. Yeah. And this is why we are saying burnout is a pandemic you didn't see coming. Burnout transcends profession, level, gender, age, geog- geography. Um, it really does, does not discriminate. Um, burnout is a result of prolonged stress and we can all, as humans, experience that. It's not about the snowflake generation. It's just not. And I think that word we're now going to ban from the podcast in 2023.
1: Yeah, I'm slightly concerned because I think I might have used it in an interview um, which we just did yesterday. <laughs> uh, but yes, I'll bleep it out. So yeah, I think what we're really talking about here is that this has been going on for a while, but it's the, but it's the first time that thanks to Zoomers and millennials, we're actually talking about it and we're open talking about it. Um, we 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 don't feel like we have to cover it up like perhaps the previous generation did. Um, you know, I know I know people of the boomer age who, who clearly were burnt out, but they just kept going and kept going, and then other things happened in their lives that uh, that sort of was the the fallout from that. So I'm curious here because I want to know how how would you know you're burnt out? You mentioned before, Leanne, that you looked back and you went, "I think I was burnt out back in that period." But at the time, I'm not sure, because I, I think it was when we were together, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure that you knew you were. So I want to know, wow. how do you know if you're burnt out?
0: I think I think you're right. It's so hard when you're in it to recognise you're burning out. I think I, I thought I might be burning out. And looking back and understanding what burnout actually is more, I was definitely burnt out. And the exhaustion, the cynicism, the pessimism, the detachment, definitely experienced that. Burnout does have a definition and it does have some agreed compartments but as always this isn't about statistics this is about individuals and human stories our guests were were generous enough to share their own experiences of stress and in some cases burnout so let's hear from Will first
3: one of my first jobs out of out of school after I got my PhD um, and I love being a psychologist you know it's a very enjoyable job um, you know Uh, so I was excited. Um, and I got this job, it paid really well. So, you know, great. I'm doing this thing I went to school for, I'm making good money. Uh, you know, I was excited to start, um, bar none, the worst job I have ever had in my entire life. I mean, um, and the, I only stayed there for three months before I was like, I can't take this anymore. Um, And the impact it had on me was just uh, like, I mean, you know, I was not only stressed out, but physically, I mean, I remember um, I would wake up in the middle of the night when I was working there with this just searing pain in my stomach. Like somebody had just like stabbed me in the stomach. And I had never felt anything like that before in my life, you know, and Thank goodness, uh, you know, I had a good support system, colleagues, my wife, uh, friends, you know, and and were really telling me, you got to get out of there. Um, and, you know, you know, the, the, the stomach pain went away, the stress went away. I mean, it really like, I don't think, though, I realized just how much of a toll it was taking on me until... I left. And, and I mean, I can't imagine if I had stayed there for years, I mean, it probably would have had, you know, much more like permanent longstanding effects on, on me. And, you know, sadly I see that sometimes uh, in the people I work with, you know, that they've been in a stressful job for so long, it's probably had a permanent irreversible effect on their health at some level. And, you know, work should not, should not hurt, I mean, I know it's a job, you know, it, there's a reason they pay you to do it. It's not going to be fun all the time, but uh, and it's not going to be engaging all the time, but it, it should not be something that that is a source of profound pain and suffering like that.
0: I love what the Will Shed has experienced. And I think just a couple of things I'd, I'd like to just to pick up on. You know, Will is a psychologist I'm a psychologist. We're not saying creating these lovely, harmonious environments where where everyone can do what they want, right. whatever they want. And that's not how it works. But work shouldn't hurt. And I think you suggested that Will should get that on a t-shirt, out.
1: <laughs> I think I did. I think I did. Yeah, he's so honest about things. And um, I say we've got someone next week as well who's equally honest. Uh, so, uh, so I, I, you know, I just love hearing these these human stories, because I'm probably the same as most listeners. We're not scientists where so you can understand all these complex ideas. We just we just want to hear the story and go, okay, yeah, I resonate with that or I know someone who...
0: Yeah, and I don't think you can underestimate the the physical symptoms of stress. You know, Will mentioned a few there. Um, I've suffered with skin problems, with rashes, with vertigo, so getting dizzy when I stand up, with literally feeling of pressure on my shoulders. And Kate delves into this a little bit more as she shares her personal experience with burnout.
4: I burnt out horribly and stayed in a burnout cycle for six or seven years. I didn't know what burnout was, so I couldn't fix it. I couldn't handle it because I didn't know what was going on. I was angry and resentful all the time. Every time anyone asked me even to go to lunch, like my friends, I was living in Prague at the time and in Warsaw, this started living in Warsaw and continued through my time in Prague, which was a lovely place to live. And I had a beautiful life and I was very lucky and all these beautiful things. My friends would write and say, hey, let's have lunch this week. And my immediate response would be like, don't they know how busy I am? I was working 25 hours a week. It just, it, none of it made sense. I, at the very worst part, physically from the tram to my apartment, there was a four minute walk and it was up a hill and I had a dog Well, we have a dog. And so I would I'd get home from work. I would be leaving work at one o'clock. So I worked, you know, eight to one thirty or eight to two on Mondays and Wednesdays. It's not that many hours. I would leave at two o'clock and be done for the day. Should be a beautiful life, right? I'd get on the tram. I'd get back to my stop. I'd look up the hill and I would think like, I don't know how I'm going to make it up this hill. And then once I get there, I don't know how I'm going to walk the dog. I, I don't know if I can do it. And I would start my journey up the hill and I would stop on someone's stoop halfway up because I literally physically could not get There. This is coming from someone who's been an athlete her whole life. I was a competitive gymnast for 10 years. I was captain of my field hockey team. I ran track. I cross country skied 120 kilometers over a week in Finland. Like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't function. I couldn't. And it just crushed me because I couldn't figure out what was going on. My blood work was fine, everything was working
0: but I couldn't walk four minutes up a hill. So as you heard that, Kate was really struggling to get a handle on her health. It wasn't until she found an article that things all started to make sense. I read that article and I thought, okay, at least now I have something to work with.
4: There are plenty of reasons why my stress management system would be off kilter. I grew up in an, in an addictive household. I mean, there, there's reasons for it. So I understood. As soon as I saw it, I got it. I was like, okay, I get this. I can see what's happening here. And as a typical rule, because I grew up in very close to the poverty line and didn't have a lot of access to things, I do everything myself. I'm a big do-it-yourselfer because it's cost-effective for the most part. At this point, it was the first time in my life where I realized that I was not going to be able to DIY this. I just wasn't going to be able to do it because if I could have done it, I would have done it already. Not With with all of my knowledge and with all of my experience with patients and with as much help as I had given other people, this I was not going to be able to do on my own. So I hired a therapist first. I went through my first few weeks of therapy and then I hired a coach. Those are very different processes and I needed them both. Once I was through a lot of those things and I started to get some energy back, I hired a functional medicine practitioner. I overhauled my diet. I took a bunch of supplements and slowly waited my way out. It took about a year, 15 months to get myself back.
1: I mean, it's just, if you, if you, if you ever doubted the physical implications or physical health implications of burnout, then just listen to that. Like this, the, You know, the ladies are freaking athlete. Um, you know, it's, it's just, Kind of heartbreaking. I feel you could you could feel that you could hear the emotion. And she really relived it in in the way that she spoke. So we also asked Sally about her experience of burnout.
2: But when I look back, it's I was in abject denial. So I was um I was having physical symptoms, so I was having quite a lot of rashes and headaches. I was um barely sleeping, I'd lost quite a lot of weight. Uh, anyone who um, sort of showed any concern to me, I'd just tell them that they didn't understand corporate law and basically told them to get lost. Um, And it was actually I was flying to, I was living in Amsterdam and I was flying to the city of Nantes in France to visit my brother because he was living there. And I'd I'd worked till really late, jumped into a taxi, sped to the airport. I don't remember anything about the flight. I just remember arriving at the arrivals hall in Nantes and laying eyes on my brother and collapsing to the floor, and I started crying, and I couldn't stop. And it took my body giving way underneath me for me to acknowledge that there was something wrong. And over that weekend with my brother, I talked. You know, I said I'm I'm miserable, and I've been miserable for a while. We talked about what my options were, and when I went back to Amsterdam, I spoke to the partner that I was working for, and and started that journey of of acknowledging what I was going through, and I was very privileged to be in a position where I could leave that job and so I quit and left probably about five months after that point. I was also very lucky to be in the Netherlands where there's um, there's health healthcare legislation and infrastructure around burnout that, that exists there. But it was, you know, I think full recovery took probably a couple of years um, after that for me to really get to a place where It's very difficult to compare because I really felt like quite a new version of myself, a much more authentic and happier version of myself. Um, But it's you know I see it a lot with the clients that I work with in my coaching and uh, people that I speak to that it is something where we really want to just be back. We want to be full of energy and and using our incredible capacities um, to the best that we can. And it's it can be a very frustrating and slow process of healing, uh, which is probably one of the reasons that my mission is to you know, to really uh, embed well-being at work so that the word burnout becomes redundant.
0: What I find really interesting about all of our experts and and their experiences of of burnout is the acknowledgement that this took many years to go through a full recovery and that it has a very real and potential impact on your long-term health. Burnout isn't stress. Burnout isn't a bad day. Burnout isn't not being able to hack hustle culture. Burnout is is a significant issue that we need to deal with within our organisations. It's as simple as that. Um, I, I don't think we could have asked any more of our experts to put it so beautifully. Why burnout is important and as business leaders, as business owners, why we have a responsibility to prevent people from hitting rock bottom
1: Yeah. And I mean, let's look at it from a business case, point of view. you've got someone who's a superstar, they're doing really well and they're putting all the hours in. This is great. And then they just put, keep to keep putting more and more hours in and then they burn out and then they quit and you're like, well, shit, what am I going to do? Because not only have I lost my best person, therefore a probably business function is down, maybe sales, maybe creative, whatever, but you also then have to spend all the money to find someone else. And the likelihood of finding someone else who's as good as that previous person is probably slim and then you, you know, so the whole thing is, it's, it's not fluff. There is a business case for this because you, if you had a piece of equipment and you were running it twenty four seven, and then it, and then it broke after six weeks, you'd look back and go, shit! I wish I hadn't done that. I should have just, you know, given it a bit of a break. I would have should have turned it off for for overnight or something. The, you know, it, there is a business case for this.
0: I see so, yeah, it as well, and equally, if you're a business leader. Burnout is an issue you need to take seriously for yourself. You know, we we've all been there, we've all, we've all done it ourselves, we've all seen other other people push themselves to the limits. You are not immune. Look at our guest here. We had a professional athlete um, and someone with expertise in in healthcare. We had a corporate lawyer operating at the highest possible level of her field. We had a board-certified clinical psychologist. Nobody is immune you are not immune and if you are pushing yourself and if any of these experiences, these emotions, these symptoms resonate with you, please, please, please acknowledge that and recognize that because now is the time to act before you go past the point of no return.
1: Okay. I mean, we're halfway through this. This, this is uh, we, We're going to do a second part of this. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to get through. What's coming up next in the next episode or the next part of this part two is how do I know if my team is burnt out? We're going to look into that. We're going to ask why does burnout happen? We're going to say, what does burnout actually mean for my business? Now we've talked a little bit more about that, the actual business case, but we're going to go into more of that and ask our experts about that then we're going to talk about how we can prevent burnout. And finally, we're going to talk about the resources that that you can use to help prevent burnout, both in yourself, uh, your leadership team, or your entire business. So a bit exhausted after that, Leanne. A
0: bit burnt out. I
1: didn't want to make that joke because I felt like it might be uh, I might because a... Because we know today. that
0: isn't burnout. We know now we've educated <laughs> ourselves and our listeners. Um, but yes, I think it's time for a break, time to to rest recharge and we will be back with part two of our episode on burnout the pandemic you didn't see coming
1: see you soon and by the way if you haven't subscribed yet then please do um if you subscribe you'll make sure that every episode comes directly to your app and also it really helps us to grow the show and get more and more people to listen to it because the more people subscribe the more likely it is that apple or whatever google are going to be able to show this to other people so if you enjoyed this episode and you're not already subscribed click that subscribe button